Today, we have a guest on Alco's Mainstream who lives at the intersection of culture and finance as sports is increasingly becoming an investable asset class. Julie Ehrman is a serial entrepreneur and force of nature who's bringing her deep expertise in gaming, media, and entertainment to build out her most ambitious project yet, Angel City FC, the expansion professional women's soccer team in her native Los Angeles. And build is what she and the team have done. In a mere two years, Julie and team have built out one of the most recognizable and successful brands in women's football, without yet having a team on the field. They've done an incredible job of creating purpose-driven content and engaging fans across various social media channels. They've secured a top-tier front-of-kit sponsor in DoorDash and have achieved record-breaking season ticket sales. They've built a true fan community to the point where Angel City has passed the tattoo test. Some of the fans have already gotten inked. It's no surprise that Julie has been able to build up Angel City in such a short time. She was recently the president of media for PEI, where she oversaw the company's media offerings across all verticals. And prior to PEI, she served as the EVP and GM over the top ventures for Lionsgate, building and managing the company's multiple streaming franchises. She also founded and was CEO of Ouya, a pioneering Android-based game console for the living room, which raised a record-breaking $8.6 million in crowdfunded capital and Kickstarter, and then VC funding from the likes of Kleiner Perkins and Alibaba before selling to Razer in 2015. She's deservedly been given a number of awards for her work, including being named the 100 Most Creative People in Business by Fast Company and one of the most creative 50 by AdAge. Julie and I had a fascinating conversation about how sports and investing are merging together and how that's informed how she's building Angel City. Julie and team have been innovative in the way that they've engaged fans, players, and investors. We discuss how Angel City has used entertainment to have an impact, how Angel City and other sports teams can be innovative in using Web3 and NFTs to engage fans and create new revenues for clubs, and how mission and capital can coexist together as sports becomes a compelling alternative investment. Thanks, Julie, for coming on the Altco's Mainstream Podcast to share the story of your pioneering work at Angel City FC, and look forward to seeing you all in the field. Julie, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Well, you should be happy. You're wearing that Rams jacket over there. I mean, you and I had a very great experience at that game. Hometown, home city, home club, winning it all. A uh, lot of champions in uh, LA right now. There are, and, and there soon to be some more. And you're helping to bring that to LA. So would love to talk about, you know, your background. You've been at the intersection of gaming, sports, tech, entertainment, and now you're founding the first women's soccer team in Los Angeles. Talk to us about your experiences and what you've learned and then what you're building at Angel City. Yeah, we have brought a women's professional soccer team to Los Angeles as part of the National Women's Soccer League. It's entering its 10th year, and we now have 12 teams with two new expansion teams here, Los Angeles and then San Diego. 
San Diego is super fun because it's run by Jill Ellis, the former national team coach. They have Alex Morgan and Abby Dahlkemper. So they're putting together an incredible team, as are we. But it was, I don't know, it was luck, timing, having a passion for sports, understanding how to build products and communities that I think brought all of this together. We talk about it a lot that there's no better community than sports fans uh, because it's still a live experience. There's a winner and a loser. It creates a sense of community and belonging and connections that you really just can't find anywhere else. You're hitting on something that has really transferred over to the investing world because culture has become finance and finance has become culture and sports are such a big part of culture. So walk us through how those worlds have merged and how Angel City is really at the intersection of that right now. Whether No matter what business it is or even financial product, you have to understand like what is the most valuable asset and how do you lean into that and build that and draw attention and awareness for that and then utilize that to develop revenue streams. It used to be the club, the team, you'd be a Yankee fan and Yankees were the number one asset and the players came in and out, but ultimately it was the team. We believe that social media has accelerated a massive change where the players are really the number one asset. That coupled with the fact that these players recognize that they're more than a football player, they're more than a soccer player. They have other interests that lie outside their profession, which is the sport that they play. It might be their social impact platform. It might be their consumer product or their NFT exchanges they're launching, but there's more to them and they're starting to see themselves as platforms. So when we were building Angel City, we built Angel City with this goal that we were going to be more than a soccer club, that this was bigger than a game. We were building it at, at the height of the Me Too movement. This came out of the work that Natalie Portman, the actress and activist, and Karen Norman, the venture capitalist, did with the Time's Up crew and what they learned um, in interfacing with the U.S. Women's National Team as they were embarking on their pay equity fight with U.S. soccer. We knew that we wanted to build something bigger than just a soccer club, but we also recognized in doing that to have the biggest amount of impact you need to start at the highest level. And to us, that wasn't about being a club. To us, that was about being a brand and not only being a brand, but being a global brand. So we sought to build Angel City to be a global brand that was a platform where if we're able to build community, we can launch many products and services. And the first product and service being Angel City Football Club. But what would differentiate us is the fact that we're leading with mission and purpose. And so to your early question, it is bringing sport and culture, and in our case, purpose together to create something that is just bigger than a club. That's fascinating. There's a ton to break down in there around the investment case or business case for a sports brand like Angel City, and not just sports, but beyond that, you have the women's piece as well, how the women's soccer and women's sports world are, I think, a really undervalued and sleeper investment opportunity because of the ability to connect to a whole new set of people who can engage with that brand. And then there's a whole new world of sports out there when it comes to the world of Web3. So I want to really break down all three of those things because they are so important to understand when it comes to the foundation of the future of sports. And that really lies at the investment world. So laying the groundwork here, starting with st step one, what makes sports, in your mind, the next great alternative investment? First things first, there's scarcity of product. If we wanted to, we couldn't launch 20 professional women's soccer teams as part of the NWSL because you need talent to underpin each team. You have to make sure that you have competitive play and you don't have this insane imbalance. So 
The result of that is scarcity of teams and a slow roll to add teams as you go. The result of that means that with limited supply, there can be high demand. And as it relates to sports teams, traditionally, ownership of a sports team has been a vanity play. It's a long hold. Usually it's a family that owns a team for generations. Now you're starting to see some exits and some sales that at incredible valuations, $2 billion. The Broncos are talking about a 4 or $5 billion valuation. But I think what's become even more unique because of the scarcity is that there's new business models associated with sport. You're starting to see minority investment in sports. So I think there's going to be some semblance of some sort of market around being able to trade these minority interests in sports because so many really thoughtful and sophisticated investors are starting to play a role. But not only in the equity of owning sports, but there's a way to own a percentage of teams through NFTs now. And Web3 is creating a new way to create community and additional revenue streams. And I think that's what's really interesting, which is traditionally, again, the revenue streams of a sports teams were merchandise, broadcast, sponsorship, um, and ticketing. Even if you look at sports teams today, you have those four revenue streams, but NFTs are becoming a revenue stream. Membership to the team is becoming a revenue stream. We could probably list off another half a dozen that are still in their infancy, but because of Web3 and because of a shift in fan engagement where you're not really dealing with just local fans, but you have the ability to interact with the fans globally, there's a way to monetize them um, digitally. And so as the revenue streams have increased, the valuations have gone up due to scarcity. And I think there's going to be an opportunity for some liquidity as new business models um, come online with these clubs. Given that this podcast is focused on alts, I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. I think what you're referencing are funds like Dial, which created a fund to invest into minority stakes of NBA teams. There's others like Arctos out there, et cetera, who are investing into sports teams in minority positions. Tell us why that is so impactful and what that does, both in terms of the positive sides for doing things like increasing valuations, creating some of that scarcity level as an asset, but also dealing with the perspectives of like, Dial may invest in multiple teams, so they may have a stake and, and exposure to multiple different teams in a league. How, how do you balance those dynamics, both on the investment side, but also understanding the sports side of things? The multiple teams things is really interesting because what comes to people's minds immediately is conflict of interest. But you, your listeners understand that you don't have much of a say in the operation of a club if you're a minority owner. But also, again, so much of your revenue today is still locally based that you can actually take the learnings from one local market and actually apply it to another local market, not cannibalize the revenue of those two individual clubs. So I think there's like a really interesting thing happening, sort of sharing of knowledge. And that actually candidly happened with us in Angel City. I don't have a sports background. So when I sought to build Angel City, I didn't know what the P&L looked like. I didn't know what the drivers of our revenue costs were. And I was surprised how when I spoke with team owners and presidents in other leagues and other markets, they were so willing to share their information and even their actual P&Ls because in the tech space, that would never happen. A competitor would never open up their books. But because the local aspect of sports is so prevalent, there was a willingness to share. I find that really interesting. Angel City is also unique in that we're not 100% owned by a family. We have a controlling owner, Alexis Ohanian, our good friend. But we have, I think the count is 99 investors. We just announced our Series A that closed at the end of last April. But the idea in bringing so many investors in, to your point, minority investors, is to be able to leverage their platform to build awareness attention for women's soccer, for Angel City, and for the impact we're making. And also for them to feel like they're doing something more than just 
investing in another product or service or sports team, but something that has real impact. And we're starting to see the benefit of that as we go and try to you know, close our sponsorship deals or partnership deals and even drive ticket sales. Do you think that's the new model for sports ownership where a diversity of people involved? And not to say that that hasn't been done in the past, but it feels like Angel City is doing this in a different way. One, in terms of walking the walk when it's a women's sports team owned by, I think, north of 75% female owners across all different industries. And the diversity of that ownership base, industry base is enabling you to build a different type of business. Yeah. There's more people are invested in your success. When you're raising money, everyone's like, oh, it's easy to get the money, but it's hard to get the smart money. But even when you get the smart money, it's concentrated in one or two firms or one or two people. In our case, we have investors from entertainment, from venture, from tech, from celebrity, from athletes. And so they bring a different perspective in what we're building and how we want to build it, not only engage our community, but develop our players on the pitch, support our players off the pitch, develop our brand, create engagement with our audience. We're able to take the best from each one of these different verticals and apply it to sports, where I think historically people just thought of it as the sports business and what is done in sports. We're looking at, well, how are communities getting built with in Web3 today? Or what does membership look like on Patreon? And how can you bring some of those best principles to a sports club? Because at the end of the day, you're building a community and you're building a community around something that people love. Whether it's a sports product or a music musician, it really shouldn't matter. The fundamental ways to interact are the same. I think historically they've been really segmented by industry. By having this incredibly diverse investor group, we're able to lean into the best practices of those different industries. It sounds like what you're really doing is building a brand that's able to engage consumers and different kinds of consumers. You alluded to this a little bit before when you're saying that no longer is it just ticketing revenue or sponsorship revenue that a team is really building their the lifeblood of their business on. And the data shows that, right? I think the Women's World Cup had about 43% of people watching through digital channels or OTT media, as opposed to the Men's World Cup having 8%. You have a totally different audience that you're tapping into. How does that and the fact that you really have a blank canvas, the NWSL is a much newer league, you're a new team, how does it really give you that blank canvas to write on when you're thinking about building this business in a different way? So that's such an interesting question because people immediately assume that you're building an audience. You're building an audience and you're, you're going to find the fans and bring them to you. And that is the biggest misconception there is. There's already an audience. There's a huge audience for women's sports. There's even a bigger audience for women's soccer. We see it every four years in the World Cup and in the Olympics. But after it's over, nobody knows where to go. They don't know that there was a National Women's Soccer League. There wasn't great media coverage. It went from A&E to ESPN, and now it's on CBS. 4% of all media coverage goes to women's sports. You're not seeing the incredible plays on ESPN, this top 10. And so it's this kind of sleeping giant where it's, if you make it accessible, if you make it available, if you just let people know that it exists and how to find it, there's a huge audience that wants to interact with it. And it's not just women. That's the second misconception, that it's just women who want to watch women's sports. That's absolutely not true. In fact, most people I talk to say they prefer to watch women's soccer than men's soccer for whatever reasons they have. But again, it's about accessibility and finding it. And so I definitely think having Angel City as part of the National Women's Soccer League is going to help because now you have 
some of the best athletes in the world playing the most global sport and what we consider to be, you know, the best sports town in the world. The Rams proving it again two nights ago that it's the city of champions. So the attention that Angel City is going to get is going to be great. The fact that we've got great media partners with CBS and Twitch, so it's accessible. And the fact that this audience of fans is digital savvy, grew up watching OTT platforms and having multiple subscriptions at a time. It's okay that it's not on broadcast television because we're used to going to Peacock and Paramount and NBC Sports and CBS Sportsnet to find content. The reason we know is because women's professional soccer is in its 10th year. If it was going to die, it was going to die. Fans have kept it alive because they want it. Now it's just more accessible. How has the way that this league has evolved and, and also how you've built the Angel City brand helped you attract different types of sponsors? Because you have certain sponsors and significant amounts of revenue coming from that that may not have sponsored another team in the past or have never worked with a women's soccer team before. How have those conversations gone and what's been different about what you've done as a result of that? We have three sponsors that, off the top of my head that have never supported sports, period, let alone women's sports. So direct consumer brown birdies, Ritual, which is a, a, a wellness company, they have multivitamins as well as protein um, powder. And then Klarna, which is a fairly new company. Their first sports partnership ever was with Angel City. And I think we're being successful for a couple of reasons. One is because we're bigger than the game, because we're leading with purpose. Our goal is to set higher expectations on and up the pitch and have a positive impact in our community. And we don't just talk the talk, we walk the talk. So with every partnership we do, we give 10% of the sponsorship dollars back into the community through our social impact platform, which has three pillars, equity, essentials, and education. So there's an authentic way for us to show up in the community with our partners to make a difference. And that authenticity is important because consumers today don't just buy the best product in the market. They buy the product that is not only the best product in the market, but is also aligned with their values. Because we live our values of setting higher expectations, using entertainment to have impact, it's a way for these partners to do that as well and to create a connection with our community that's not just 12 times a year at home games, but it's literally you know 365 days a year. DoorDash is our front of kit partner, and we've given out 75,000 meals today. Sprouts Farmer's Market is our back of kit partner, and we've help build seven gardens in elementary schools to teach wellness and nutrition to young kids. That authenticity resonates with the community, but also resonates with the brands so they can really live their values. What's been really fun is going to the market and saying, it's not okay to only support men's teams anymore. It's just not. Your brand is going to get a hit by that. These are incredible athletes. Women's sports is growing. It's just not okay. You can't now discount 50% of the market who, for the record, and you know this better than I do, have a larger percentage of the discretionary income, still make all the decisions in the household, and are now telling you that they care about women's sports. It sounds like you just laid out a really strong investment case for both brands and investors in women's sports. If you think about it, you just hit on this, that there's significantly less dollars going into women's sports from a TV and sponsorship revenue perspective. I think a study from Deloitte in April 2021 showed that it'll be about a billion dollars globally on an annual basis for women. But that's relative to $467 billion for men's and mixed sports. Something has to change there, especially when you take into account that fans of women's sports two times more loyal than general sports fans to brands. Look at the, the U.S. women's national team when Nike sponsored them. I think they saw 11x year-over-year -year increase in engagement with the Nike brand. Visa saw 27x increase in engagement when they sponsored the women's national soccer team in the U.S. It feels like when you read those stats that 
women's sports is absolutely an investable asset class. Oh, it is. And I always say you can't fall off the floor. I think you can't fall off the floor here. There's significant upside. Even with the National Women's Soccer League, we're negotiating our streaming rights deal in a year. We're negotiating our broadcast deal in two years. There's real opportunity for significant step function and growth with those media rights. Not to mention, again, how do you lean into these athletes and allow them to build their brand, which ultimately has a positive impact on your club? We haven't been around for 25 years. Web3 is new. NFTs are new. Crypto is new. We get the ability to take advantage of them from the beginning. We don't have old deals that prevent us from doing things. It could be a negative because we could be generating so much revenue, but at the same time, it's not a hindrance to us either because we don't have these legacy deals that we have to fall back on. There's just opportunity for growth. So I totally hear you here. I want to give you the chance to argue and refute point that a really smart venture investor asked me this past weekend was like, look, I get why you, why you love Angel City, why somebody would support this team and invest in it. But without TV revenue and the TV rights with a massive network, all the sponsorship, why would this be a good investment? So I want to give you a chance to argue that. We built our entire financial model without any support from the league. So no share of broadcast revenue, no share of sponsorship revenue, no significant merchandise revenue, just building our own business. And when you think bigger about your team, when you think about yourself as a global brand and you're creating a merchandise schedule, that merchandise program that has collabs and exclusive drops, and you are building the brand of the players and you're selling out your crowd, your stadium. We've sold over 14,000 season tickets. We are going to sell out the stadium at 22,000. We are not pricing this at bottom price. Let's move these tickets. We have been really thoughtful about making sure there's a price for everyone, which is not to say that it's necessarily affordable. If you want to pay $15, you can pay $15. If you want to pay thousands of dollars to sit on the player's bench, that seat is going to be worth thousands of dollars because there is real value to that. The reality is not discounting women's sports, understanding the upside, understanding the audiences there and pricing this and building a business that makes sense. If all goes well, we're going to be profitable in three years. And again, that is with no support from the league. And that's with very little growth in the league because we're thinking about it as a business. We were fortunate that we didn't have to build a stadium. Even with the new CBA, which is exceptional and gives significantly more agency to the players, we still live in a world with salary caps. So our expenses can't get out of whack as relates to how we're building Angel City. But ultimately, our goal is to drive to equity and get the viewership that you spoke about as it relates to the men's rights, but also getting to pay as well. If I can generate more revenue, I can pay the players more money, and we're going to find a way to make our partners part of the solution and to make our fans part of the solution. What's incredibly remarkable here is you have done all of this without putting a team on the field yet. What do you think that other owners or investors in new teams or expansion teams can learn from what Angel City's done? And do you think they will start to follow this blueprint of, like you say, building this brand outside of revenue from the league, relying on league and other teams to actually build a business? We didn't have a blueprint to follow. We've been intentional in outsourcing everything that we've done, um, creating this blueprint that other people can follow and build upon. You never know if you're successful until you look backwards. But I think that some of the things that we've done really well is, first of all, having a bigger goal in mind. It wasn't just about having a successful football club, but we wanted to have impact. We built Angel City with mission in mind. How can we have the, the most positive impact on our community? In order to have a positive impact on our community, we actually have to partner with our community and we have to learn what they want. So from the beginning, we built our social impact platform. We started developing relationships and inroads with our community, not only in how do we 
build Angel City, but also what needs help and how can we have a positive impact? Because when we go to brands, we can say, look, we'd love to create pathways for women coaches. We'd love to create nutritional programs for young kids. We'd love to get kids more active and create camps and clinics. The number one reason young girls stop playing sports is because they can't afford a sports bra. So we partnered with Nike when we launched Seat Deposit so that for every Seat Deposit we sold, we'd be donating a sports bra to a young girl in need. We'll have 22,000 out in market before we you know, kick our first ball again. Building community from day one, having a larger purpose and mission, living it. We made the decision day one that we would have intention with everything we did. If we were driving revenue, we were having impact. Um, and we've never had to make a trade-off between the two because it was part of our DNA from the beginning. I think lastly, just understanding if the ultimate goal is to make money by driving impact because you can make more impact if you can drive more revenue, then how do you build yourself to have the biggest impact possible? Think globally. It's helpful that soccer is a global sport. It's helpful that the women who play soccer are the best athletes in the world at doing it. And then we built an investor group that is reflective of our values and what matters. And they also care about what it is we're building. So they want to lean in and help it as well. Well, what's fascinating about what you just said is that you are really building Angel City in a different way across the spectrum. So we've talked about this at a high level, building this global brand that transcends a single city, a single sport. If we take that to the other end of the spectrum, the players in the field, which that has to be harmonized with everything you're doing. There's the off the field business sense of what you're doing. There's also the on the field aspect of this and the players, which I think of players as creators, they, they can build their own communities. They have social media followings that enable them to have something as a springboard, either while they're in their playing career or afterwards. And they can monetize in so many different ways as a result of that. How have you thought about blending the the on-the-field product with the business side of what Angel City is doing to help the players build their career both on and off the field. We, we talk about our purpose being setting higher expectations on and off the pitch, and that also includes the players. So how do you give the players agency? How do you make them feel safe and secure? How do you develop them both as people but also as athletes? As we talk about just Angel City Football Club players, we've done it in a couple ways. First was how do we give them safety and security. And any Aluko from day one felt that it was important that if we pick you, you pick us. And we want you to be as committed to us as we're committed to you. We've told all our players from day one that you get a contract and we're not trading you. You never have to worry about losing your job and being traded. We are committed to you as long as you want to be here. Obviously, if you, you know, don't want to be here, we will help facilitate that as well because we want you to be happy and we want to have a team of people that believe in what we're trying to build. But we don't want you to ever worry that you're not going to be here. That's not common. That's not done. I don't know any other club that's ever said that, but we've told all our players that we are not trading you. We are committing to you. So that was one thing. Two, obviously, is working really hard in the CBA to make sure that we could get them the agency that they need. And collectively, as owners, we did a 60% increase in minimum pay for our players. We created a pathway to free agency in 23 and beyond for our players. So again, they can be excited about where they're playing and have agency in the decisions in their career. But then more specifically, here at Angel City, we developed not only a technical team, which is very common, but we developed a player care team. We have four or five people whose sole purpose is to make sure that the players get everything they need from housing to auto to logistics to getting set up in L.A. to finding the right sports therapists or anybody that they need. We want to make sure that you know they can focus on their job and we support them every other way that we can. 
We're also working with Angela Hughley-Smangiano is our head of soccer operations and player care. She's a former Olympian. She's an owner of Angel City. She's absolutely incredible. We're working on building out a curriculum for players so that we can help them develop their skills off the pitch because we know they won't play soccer forever. So whether they want to become broadcasters or become a coach or they want to develop a brand or be a photographer, how can we leverage our network to help them grow off the pitch? The last thing is, we want to have a positive impact in soccer, full stop. We think about the soccer player in three different ways. There's the previous retired players, there's our current team, and then there's youth. To support the retired players, we developed the Angel City 22 Fund, which is a grant system for ex-professional women's soccer players so they can continue their education and stay in sports, be in the lawyer, a broadcaster, do front of office. Uh, and what's really cool about that is Obviously, it's not just Angel City players because we don't have any retired former players. It's anybody who's ever played the sport. It's a way for them to stay involved. We found that so meaningful because with Angel City, we have 14 former U.S. Women's National Team players as owners. Having them involved, it just makes it even more rewarding. I mean, we're building this on the back and on the foundation of what they built, and they haven't had a you know a real role going forward, let alone a financial stake, an ownership stake in a club. Seeing the joy and learning so much from them, we wanted to be able to give back. And then as it relates to youth, that's a big goal of ours this year is how do we develop our youth system, our academy system? How do we start building out a network of incredible players that one day can play for Angel City? What you're talking about revolves so much around community and building that community both internally within the Angel City team brand, but also with fans and followers. How do you think about the collision of community and now financialization of everything? Those two things are colliding in terms of how players are able to interact with fans, how you're able to build your brand, how people are able to invest in Angel City with either their dollars, buying merchandise, buying tickets, whatever it may be. How do you think those trends are colliding? They're colliding because the content creators can now be owners. And I think that's really different. Web2 is all about the platform owning the audience. We put content on it, but Facebook owned the audience, Instagram owned the audience, Twitter owned the audience. You, the content creator, didn't own the audience. And what Web3 is allowing is the content creator to not just have a pathway to talk directly to their audience and their fans, because we've had that. I can talk directly to you through Twitter, but I don't have that direct ownership relationship with you. What Web3 is allowing is for me to have that ownership relationship. So I can create content and share a piece of that as it continues to trade hands, whether it's an NFT or something else that might get developed on Web3. But it creates a different type of relationship with consumers, but it also creates a different type of pride of authorship when I know that I can continue to have a role and a connection with you, not to be discounted, but there's you know a lot of work in developing a community and continuing to foster this relationship. But again, if you're willing to put in the effort to develop this community and create this relationship, now there's an opportunity to benefit from it financially, which hasn't been there before, which again, allows these athletes to develop more revenue streams. You hear it all the time. Jordan made more money off the court than he did on the court. And I can tell you, Kristen Press and Rapino and Alex Morgan make more money off the pitch than they do on the pitch. Now is another way for them to do that, but really monetize their audience without having any intermediary to take their own cut. It's just more authentic. That, that's a fascinating point and a trend that seems to be happening in large part due to social media. Look what happened with Cristiano Ronaldo at the Euros. He has 400 million Instagram followers moving the Coca-Cola bottle, which is a sponsor of the Euros, off the table, replacing it with a water bottle, wiping off, I think, $4 billion off of Coca-Cola's market cap that day. So players have real power. How do you think about that as an owner of a team and part of a league where 
players, to your point, thanks to social media, thanks to things like Web3, now have the ability to connect directly with their fan. How do you help players harness that power that they have, but also balance that with the fact that they are part of a broader team and league? First, if it, like, it starts with what you stand for and who you want to be part of it. We want to win and we want to field the best team, but we also need to make sure that they align with our values. I think that does change things a little bit, whereas normally you might just look at the numbers or the stats. But if you're a company like Angel City, where you're building an organization that's mission forward, that's purpose forward, everything that you touch has to be a reflection of that. And it includes your community and includes your owners and includes your players. There's just another factor in the decisions you make from the beginning. I think secondarily, at least from our perspective is, again, how do we enable our players to develop those relationships, to build out their brand, to build out their platform, to generate revenue for themselves, which they deserve. But we believe, again, that fans follow players first, teams second, and leagues third. So the bigger the player gets, the better the benefit it's going to have for Angel City. We think about every time we build a platform, how can we copy and paste it for our players? And how can we teach them how to use it? And how can we give them the tools to be able to leverage that platform and monetize that platform? Because they're happy, we're happy. If we're happy, they're happy. I've never seen so many athlete investors than I have in, in the last 12 months. I mean, have you? It's like every single day that an athlete is investing in something, launching something, they're recognizing the power of their brand, both from a social impact perspective, which we saw these last couple of years, but now even from just a financial impact. And it's not just name and likeness where I'm a spokesperson, but I'm a true investor. That's only going to grow. So we'll be more successful if we can find a way to empower and support them because it's just going to come back to the club. Yeah, that's been a huge boon for companies seeing this from the venture side. Companies want athletes and brands who are attached to athletes to be involved with what they're doing because brands like Angel City and players can connect into communities like other people can't and they can bring their followers. I think you're hitting on a really, really important point and something I want to go deeper on, which is talked about the sports stack before there's investable opportunities at the team level at the player level and at the fan level so how has the financialization of everything everything from sports teams now being crowdfunded in some senses we've even seen people try to create DAOs, wagme united kraus house dow from basketball um in the nft world you've done stuff in the nft world enabling fans to invest into the team through the nfts to some extent own a piece of the club history and the club crest players invest in their sports cards invest in the moments of the games with nba top shot and then engaging fans how has the financialization of everything really changed the sports world now that everything's kind of become an investable asset i'd say it's twofold one it's connection you now can create a deeper connection with something that you love You've gone from a physical trading card to a digital trading card that now everybody in your digital world can see. So I think connection is one. But the other thing, which is talked about a little bit less, is accessibility. You don't have to be a billionaire to have a deep connection and or ownership of a club. And even ownership, the concept of ownership has changed. Like, I've owned a trading card. Do I own an NFT? Do I own a collectible of the first jersey ever worn by Ronaldo when he went back to Man United? And not only do I own the physical asset, but I own the, the digital representation of it. It's connection and it's accessibility. And accessibility is huge when it's not limited to the few that are financially able, but it's really to the masses who now have different choices on how to show my fandom. I own a, a share of Green Bay Packers and it literally means nothing. And they, they didn't even create a piece of paper of it until I think last year, but it has no real value other than the value you place on it. And now we're taking that concept 
and putting a significant amount of value and also saying that it's accessible to way more people. You also don't have to be an accredited investor to feel a sense of connection or ownership because of all the new tools that you just talked about. Do you think that there are other ways in which we'll see sports teams turn fans into owners? Things like crowdfunding, like DAOs. Do you think we'll see a sports team end up doing crowdfunding campaigns, end up creating DAO structures to enable more people in the community who are their fans to be a part of it? Oh, yeah. Crowdfunding, DAOs, public offerings. I think there's a number of different things we're going to see coming up. It's just evolving. And it's fun and it's interesting because, again, the more people that have an emotional connection with your team, they're going to spend money. And it's not just in the ownership, but they're going to buy tickets and they're going to buy merch and they're going to tell their friends to buy tickets and their friends to buy merch. And you're going to see the revenue increase. Again, sports is one of, if not the last appointment-based television that is never going to change, where there is a clear winner and loser. And there is a way to build community around that, both in the digital space and in the physical space, because you go to a stadium to watch a game. I think as Web3 evolves, crowdfunding has evolved significantly. I was on Kickstarter back in 2013. And just to see the evolution of community investment into projects has changed pretty significantly. So I don't see any you know, end in sight as far as how that's going to evolve and grow. How much do the leagues have to buy into this? Or can you do your own thing as a club and engage community in the way you want to, which may be different than the way the other 12 league owners want? The honest answer is it's a combination. There's definitely legacy that we're working with, but the world is moving so quickly. As soon as the NBA started allowing minority investment from PE firms, everyone started saying, okay, well, what does that mean? And if they're doing it, what is our rationale for not doing it anymore? We do have to deal with legacy. I do think things are changing. And the benefit of having a young league is that we haven't really thought through everything and not everything is written down. So it does allow us to do things differently. Sometimes it's really well accepted by the league and other teams. And there have been some things that have been less accepted because we're changing something that has fundamentally not been changed in 10 years and change hurts, but we're new. Do you think the the fact that there is a connection between teams, i.e. the league where people as a collective have to make a decision, does that put a damper on the ability to be innovative? Or is it a limiting factor in building an enterprise? You look at many startups, they're able to innovate because they operate independently, they have speed, and they can do things the way in which they want and could be different. Does that, and I'm not specifically talking about NWSL or Angel City or making you give a referendum on that, but more so the concept of sports as an investable asset class, does that impact how investors will be able to think about this in terms of investing in a team versus being part of a broader league and and the innovation that can happen at either level? Look, I think anytime you're trying to get a lot of people to agree on something, it's hard. I think that's sort of a reality. But again, the speed of innovation is, it feels like it's faster, it's sped up and being able to take advantage of that and being first matters. There's only so many professional leagues in the US. There's a scarcity of product. You want to be creative and unique. You want to invest and grow. And so you're going to have to take some bets. We've been able to do a lot within the rules of the NWSL intentionally. And we're trying to get the league to also be aggressive and be innovative. It's hard, but they're taking some great steps. And we'll have some good announcements soon where you'll see that, oh, my God, I'm surprised that they adopted this before some of the other professional leagues. So we do have the benefit of being a newer league with smaller teams where we can be more aggressive. But it's never easy to get a group of people to agree. One thing you're hitting on is that because the league is 
in its relative infancy compared to the NFL or the NBA, you're actually able to tap into new or more undiscovered revenue streams as a way to help the team, help the league, and then ultimately help the players, right? Again, being young means we just don't have a lot of legacy partnerships, legacy brands, legacy ways of doing things. It allows us to be more agile and be more innovative. And watching how the other leagues have been innovative means that I think we can apply it faster because we only have 12 owners that we have that have to agree. We're a single entity league. Most of our decisions are done by majority. So what was it? The NFL has now given international rights to teams. So the Vikings now have the international rights to the UK and Canada. Okay, well, should we adopt that? It's a lot easier to approve something like that once we see the data or the rationale behind that because we're younger and faster and, and there's just a smaller number of owners. On that point, do you think part of the future of sports ownership is really around a multi-sport brand? So a club from the NFL or the NBA or the WNBA, the owners actually own a portfolio of sports teams across different sports as like a multi-sport brand and leverage the synergies and benefits of lessons learned, facilities, things of that nature to actually help grow a more startup brand within that portfolio, i.e. women's soccer relative to their more incumbent brand, like an NFL team. You're starting to see that here in the U.S. The current purchasers of the Orlando Pride and Orlando City MLS Club and the NWSL Club are the owners part of the Vikings. I personally think it can be hard because, again, you're dealing with two different locations. So there's not a ton of cost savings per se. And arguably, one of the reasons that Angel City is independent is because we want to dedicate a team on Angel City. We don't want the trade-off between do I spend most of my time on what's making the most money or do I spend most of my time on what's losing the most money? We just want to focus on Angel City. I think what City Football Group has done is really fascinating and how we sort of modeled Angel City, which is if we build a platform then we can monetize our community through that platform by launching other products or services or taking elements of that platform to other teams and leagues because there's something that connects it all. For us, it's impact and purpose and community and our goal to strive for equity. If we can build a community of people that believe in that, it doesn't matter what sport we go to or what product we go to next because ultimately it's the community that determines whether or not you succeed or fail because they have to invest in you. And so we think about it as a platform play. You're hitting on something which is fascinating and, and generally breeds more success in the startup world than that, which is mission-driven companies relative to mercenary-driven companies, both in terms of the fans and customers you're able to bring on board, the investors and the employees. Is that the future of sports in your mind? Is these mission-driven brands? We're seeing huge success. And, and it's not even, we're seeing financial success, we're seeing community success, we're seeing impact success. It's success on every single level without having to sacrifice one for the other. By giving back, we, we believe we're making more money. Uh, by making more money, we can give back more. It's just this incredible loop that we're in that only wins and you're waking up every morning knowing that you're making impact. It's amazing. Does that also resonate with the players as this being a destination they want to come to? Because it's like, hey, not only are we playing on the field and we feel pride wearing that logo on our shirt, but we actually are able to make an impact with what we're doing either directly with the community or indirectly because we're part of this brand. We're hearing it from our players. We're in week three and some of our players have been on podcasts. We've done a couple media blasts. They talk like us. It's incredible. They recognize that we're trying to do something differently. We're trying to set higher expectations. We're trying to strive for equity. We're trying to have a real impact in our community and make a difference. And they fundamentally want to be part of making a difference. 
and winning isn't just on the pitch. It's been amazing to watch these players start to come together as a team and understand what Angel City stands for and wanting to be part of the bigger picture. It just makes it way more rewarding. It'll make everyone sweeter and every other thing other than winning a little less painful because we know we're having impact no matter what we do. So I think that's a great point, which is startups often do things in an innovative way and incumbents can often learn from new startup entrants as a way to do things better. If you could share advice with your counterparts who are incumbent sports teams, what would some of the things be that you would tell them in terms of learning from the innovation that's happening at Angel City, in women's sports, in leagues like the NWSL and WNBA? That's always hard because every market's different and every community is different. But what I would say that's working for us is thinking about community first, thinking about impact and profitability together, interlinked. It's a different message. It's a different story. You find different fans gravitate towards you and partners come to us. I would say what felt more typical was you go out and pitch brands. You want to be part of Angel City because we're a football club. But we didn't go out and we didn't say we were a football club. We said we're something bigger than a football club and we're creating an organization where mission and capital can coexist and we want to lead with purpose. And we go out and said that. And then you know what happened? Brands came to us and said, we want to be part of that. I don't think that's common. And we've seen real success in doing that, which is live your purpose we say all the time, we're unapologetically profitable. We're unapologetic about our goal to make money. We're also unapologetic about our desire to strive to equity. We're unapologetic about our ability to um, entertain. And we're unapologetic about our desire to include the community in what we do. And we're unapologetic in knowing that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to correct them as, as quickly as we can. But living our purpose has had a hugely beneficial impact in building our community and ultimately building our revenue streams. What's fascinating about what you're saying is that so much of this revolves around community and now investing has become so centralized on the power of community. We've seen it manifest itself in both positive and negative ways, but there's the power of community and aggregating the collective of people who are such passionate believers in what somebody is doing ends up making a real difference. So how, how have you seen that manifest itself? You can see it in Web3 between Bored Apes and Women of WoW. You're seeing these NFT platforms being built around community. And arguably, that's all we're talking about right now. We're not talking about the one F NFT that sold for $50,000 or a million dollars. We're talking about the communities and which community you belong to and why do you belong to it. It's playing out in real time in the development of Web3. I think it's playing out in real time in the development of Angel City. To your point, we have 14,000 season ticket holders. We have six supporter groups. We still haven't played a single game. We're still four weeks away from playing our first preseason game. We're still two months away from playing our first regular season game. But the community is there because we're values and mission aligned. So on that point, you mentioned Web3. The metaverse has become a topic of conversation. And for good reason, people will probably in some way live in a digital world, in addition to hopefully still living in a physical world. Sports has very much been in the physical world. But we can't ignore the fact that some people may want to live in a digital world. And to your point, some of these communities that people are part of and the digital identities that they have, their profile pics of whether it's CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, or whatever it may be, is going to be a part of the world going forward. How do you think the world of sports will balance the coexistence of the physical world with the digital world in terms of engaging fans, also helping them understand that there's still a physical product that, that needs to happen on the field. And you have to live in the physical world too. So how do you think those two worlds will come together and, and be balanced by a, a sports team like Angel City? It doesn't exist without the physical 
part, right? You have to have the players. They have to play a game. There has to be a score. There has to be a beginning, middle, and end. But the type of content and products that can be created from that single game is probably limitless to player NFTs, to collectibles, to trading cards, physical and digital, to social currencies, um, to creating unbelievable experiences. Because there's a physical component to sports, you can create a physical experience that goes beyond just going to the game, but getting to the game and the after party and everything around and who you meet and what you do. There's just another layer when you have a a required physical component to creating your community. I'm, I'm so curious to see how the world of sports evolves as new emergent ways of building a business like you're doing at Angel City and then the new technologies that are coming into play. So fascinating to see all of this. I always end the Alco's mainstream podcast asking everyone what their favorite or most interesting alternative investment is. So what's yours? Oh, it's made for your audience. It's super boring. I mean, I own Ethereum and get to watch that roller coaster every single day. But I think the fact that it's a roller coaster just speaks to why it's so exciting and fascinating because it continues to grow and have value. I don't know. You need to teach me more, Michael. Ethereum, I've often thought that the easiest decision or trade to make is if you believe that NFTs are a thing and that many will be minted on the Ethereum network, you might as well just go long ETH. It's much harder to pick which NFTs will be successful and won't, but you can bet on the underlying. And that's in some cases, it could be other blockchains and, and their tokens as well, but Ethereum makes plenty of sense. So I, I think that's a fantastic one. In addition to Angel City, which you are very long on, and the city of Los Angeles, where we are creating multiple champions because it is the city of champions. Right. All day, every day. Well, that's what you're building at Angel City, both on and off the field, which is so fascinating as we see sports becoming financialized. So Julie, it was, it was awesome to have you on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alco's Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going